Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. We are back after a week off, and we have a fun show planned, so let's get to the introductions and we will get started. We thought that his son's name was pronounced Jacob. Turns out it's Jakob. Jacob Allen is on the podcast. How are you, bud? Doing good. Uh, I'm surprised as well. I also didn't know. I'm sorry, little man. I've grown up pronouncing his name Samuel Blecka. Turns out it's Samuel Bletch. The A is silent. Sam, how are you, man? Yeah, it's that weird uh, Polish-Czechoslovakian conversation. They eat weird kind of languages. And I went and checked with my fiance Lauren, to make sure her name actually was pronounced Lauren. Turns out it's pronounced Mark. Let's get to the topics, guys. we got a lot to talk about. I do want to just, before we dive in super seriously to anything, what were your reactions to Kelsey's name being thrown into question on pronunciation? Because I'll be honest, I dove in way too hard on it. And I just want to know how you guys were feeling about it at the, at the time. My initial reaction was honestly, there's got to be a joke because it was, it's been so long that you would think he would have corrected it in college. But apparently it's, it's not that big of an issue for them because his brother has never said anything either and he's been in the league longer. So uh, it was just a, it's really, I guess the media is really starved for news. So this became a big deal. <laughs> I was going to say, they can't really take the week off that we did when there's nothing to talk about. They're just like, we'll grasp at any straw possible. Jacob, how did, what was your reaction when Kelsey's name was thought to be pronounced Kels for just a brief moment in time? Easy there, roller coaster tycoon. Uh, it's, another, it's another late night uh, skit that they're having all the NFL guys do. We'll see. I'm sure we'll see somebody else come in and say, oh, my last name's not pronounced this way. It's pronounced this way. But uh, I think it signifies that there is absolutely nothing going on, which is hopefully the end of that. But I think it's he's a complete fraud. If you go listen to his uh, his any of his intros, he says his own last name that way. I know he went on to explain that his dad said it that way, then relatives said it wasn't pronounced that way, but they did it that way because everyone decided their name was announced that way. Yeah, the story that I read said that from Kelsey specifically, he talked about how. His dad originally was pronounced Kels. Like, that's how his family pronounces it, Kels. But the place that his father worked at, everyone said Kelsey. So he just got tired of it and had it legally changed, which led to a comment I saw on Twitter, which I thought was the best thing ever. And it's like, so is Kelsey's father, the Jerry Gergich from Parks and Rec of our time, to where all of his coworkers decided that his name was something different. And so he just ended up changing it. I just thought that was hilarious. All right, well, let's get into some actual news because we actually had news, which is surprising. We're a week out from training camp as we record this here on uh, Wednesday night, July the 21st. And the Chiefs have made a move to bolster their front four, bringing back defensive end Alex Okafor on a one-year contract. Uh, Okafor played 11 games this past season, 2020, with the Chiefs, battled some injuries, specifically, I believe it was a hamstring was the most severe one that caused him to miss time um, and spend some time on IR. He is now back. There are not details on the financial uh, benefits that come with it, what his actual salary is, how much is guaranteed. You got to think it's probably going to be less than what uh, Melvin Ingram, who just signed with the Steelers, got, which is around $4 million uh, for him. So you got to think that Okafor is probably coming in a little bit under that at least. Uh, let's just go around quickly here and get the reactions 
How does this, how does the bringing back of Alex Okafor affect your guys' view of the defensive line? What was your reaction to, to Okafor being brought back? Uh, Sam, I'll come to you here first. It's one of those signings that it doesn't move the needle necessarily. It's not like it's, it's obviously big news for us because we actually have something to talk about, but it, in the wider world of sports, it's not the end-all, be-all signing. I think Mel, Melvin Ingram, the Melvin Ingram signing really isn't that big of a deal, I don't think. I was, it was funny, I was listening to uh, sports radio, I think it was Brady Quinn and Jonas Knox, and they were saying, yeah, we, I didn't realize he was, not, was a free agent, um, referring to Melvin Ingram. So obviously it's just this is the – media as we've already said media star time of year where they're just picking at anything they can talk about but as far as how it affects the defensive line it's it's a good bolstering move um giving a guy that has performed well I mean he's not a sack machine or or just he's not the consummate all pro that I think we would like but he's a he's a solid player that that fits well into the rotation Jacob, what about you? When Alex Okafor was announced as being brought back, what was your reaction? Does this change how you feel at all about the the front four for the Chiefs? I like it. I mean, it's a move that is, like Sam said, it's not going to win you a championship, but it'll maybe help sustain your road to the championship of having depth on, on the line. And I think with the unknown of Frank Clark, you it was almost a had to. And as far as comparing it to Ingram, we'll see what the money is. Alex Okafor's first contract with the Chiefs was three years, 18 million, or almost 18 million. So he did about six a year. I'm wondering, I'm curious to see if he'll come in at less than Melvin Ingram. My guess would be that he is based on just, he's not a, you know, he's not a high sack guy by any means. Neither is, neither was Melvin Ingram recently, but, you know, looking at his numbers here, you can, basically count Alex Okafor for somewhere between three to five sacks a year. And at this point as well, his health hasn't been all that awesome either because I almost, you know, when said, no, his health's way better than Melvin Ingram's too, but he's missed five or six games a season over the last two years as well. So either way, I think it was a necessary thing to do considering you may be missing Frank Clark for, you know, somewhere between zero to eight games this year. We'll see what all happens there. Yeah, it, I did think it was interesting to your point, Jacob, when you're talking about the the comparisons. Um, Melvin Ingram has played 20 games in the last two years. Alex Okafor has played 21. Melvin Ingram has had seven sacks in the last in in the last two seasons. Alex Okafor has had eight. When you talk about uh, quarterback hits, Melvin Ingram 17. Uh, Alex Okafor 19. Production wise, they are over the last two years have been very similar. Now. I think Melvin Ingram, the upside in terms of production is probably going to be higher than, than Alex Okafor. At least it has been until this past year. But I think if you're the Chiefs, you're looking at it as going, okay, well, if we're going to pick one of these guys, maybe get the guy who is, who is more familiar with our defense. And so because I do think this may signal that they're, they may not be bringing in any more pass rush help now that they have Okafor, at least not a, a, a name that we have talked about here, knowing that Ingram signed for $4 million with the Steelers the day before the Chiefs bring back Alex Okafer, who would you guys have rather had? Seeing where the numbers have fallen, how many games they both played each year, uh, the sack numbers, the quarterback hits, obviously they're you know, more detailed analytics, you know, hurries and such that 
you're maybe I, I don't have in front of me that could tilt it one way or the other. But um, Jacob, I'll come to you here first, seeing where both of them ended up, knowing what the numbers are for both of these players. Who would you have rather had, Alex Okafor or Melvin Ingram? At this point, I think you almost have the same guy. So if Alex Okafor is, you know, two to two and a half million and Ingram's four, then I'm okay with getting Okafor. I think both guys are on the downsides of their careers. I don't think you're looking for any slam dunk move here. I don't I don't think it'll be end up being a massive mood. Like I said, I think it's more of a get you through and not have a weakness on your your team versus you know something that's gonna win you games. There you're gonna have somebody that's gonna make it make you not lose, not have somebody to run after all game towards, I should say. Sam, what about you? Alex Okafor or Melvin Ingram, now that they've both signed and you can see where the numbers are with their careers over the last two years, who would you have rather had? Olivier Vernon. <laughs> uh, no, I honestly, uh, I wasn't super high on Melvin Ingram um, kind of at the beginning of the conversation when he came to visit, purely because I, I feel like they both serve generally the same role, maybe – in a slightly different style and that Melvin Ingram is the quote unquote pass rush specialist, which he's not really produced a lot. And Alex Okafor is more of a, I would say a more complete end, maybe not as uh, explosive, but better run stopping. I think just generally a, a more solid all around end um, that you can kind of plug and play. So I think they're both rotational guys. So it, it neither one, as I said, neither one moves the needle a lot for me. I, I'm happy with Alex Okafor, I think, because he knows the system. That's always a big thing. As he, he comes in, he already has experience playing with uh, in Spag's system and playing with the guys next to him. So I'm happy with the signing. I don't I, I couldn't be swayed either way as far as which one I think would have been would have been a, a more important signing. Yeah, I'm, I'm with both of you. I don't think I can add too much more uh, other than, you know, kind of echo what you guys have said. If Alex Okafor is, is more affordable if his contract is cheaper. He already knows the system. And if you're essentially, while one player may have more upside due to injury and age, et cetera, if because of fit and knowledge of the system, one guy is a, a, a better option for you right now and he's cheaper, I'm fine with going that route. And I think Alex Okafor, he brings a veteran presence to that line that they probably still need you know a lot of the guys that we've talked about like Joshua Kando like uh, Tershawn Wharton like Tim Ward these guys that are younger they're still kind of getting their feet underneath and Mike Dana is another one I think benefit a lot from veteran leadership from a guy like Okafer you know I'm, I'm all on board with with bringing back that that type of a player so I'm, I'm could, like you Sam couldn't really be swayed one way or the other but totally fine with saving a couple of bucks and, and bringing back essentially the same player in terms of production. So moving right along to a little more Chiefs news, but staying on the front four for the Kansas City Chiefs, we did want to revisit the Frank Clark situation because there have been obviously a couple of developments since we were last uh, broadcasting and recording the podcast. So Frank Clark has one felony charge for felony gun possession that was from an incident resulting uh, at back on March 13th. Uh, there still has not been any word as to whether or not he will be charged for the incident in June. He was supposed to have an arraignment on Wednesday, July 14th. So a week ago as we're recording this tonight. 
However, that arraignment and plea hearing was moved to October 4th. So we won't have any real resolution with where Frank Clark is with the law until October 4th. Obviously, this doesn't do mean that the league won't still suspend him or that the Chiefs won't still suspend him, although I, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that the Chiefs would if the law doesn't uh, actually take action first, but I could still see the NFL suspending Frank Clark. There was uh, recently an article written on the 15th by uh, Connor Christofferson of SI.com for Fan Nation Arrowhead Report on what it could potentially mean for Kansas City if Frank Clark was suspended. So in his article, he talks about how the league rules could potentially uh, do allow for the Chiefs to move on from Frank Clark and get out from underneath his $18.5 million base salary, which is fully guaranteed if Frank Clark is suspended. Because per the league rules, if Frank Clark is suspended, um, and they suspend him because of the personal conduct policy, his remaining guarantees on his contract are void. That doesn't mean that if he's suspended, the Chiefs don't have to pay him. That means that those monies are no longer guaranteed uh, per his article. Um, and he got his information from places like Track, Over the Cap, sources that we've used as well. Um, and then obviously, you know, the league rules about suspensions and what that means for Frank Clark. So if Frank Clark is suspended, his $18.5 million base salary is no longer guaranteed. And what that means is that the Kansas City Chiefs could move on from Frank Clark and save in 2021 $18.5 million. They would carry then $6.8 million of dead money in 2021 against their cap and then have to carry 13.6 in dead money in 2022 since Frank Clark would have been cut post June one, you're able to split up the dead money over two seasons. All that being said, what that means for us is that it, it brought up the question, what would you do if you are the chiefs, if Frank Clark is suspended? So let's say let's, you know, you know whatever caveat you want to put on it. If it's two games, four games, six games, however many games you think he'd be suspended what would you do if that is the case? And then his 18-5 is no longer guaranteed. Would you cut him? Would you keep him? How would you handle that situation going forward? Um, Sam, I'll come back to you here first. I mean, he's a player that I think his time in Kansas City is already coming up. And this, these two incidents kind of fast-track that, in my opinion. I, I think they were already moving towards probably moving on from him. And then after he now has a felony charge and potentially another one coming down the road, that's just going to drive it forward and make sure that he's probably not going to be a chief much longer. The money is not the reason why I would cut him necessarily, because at this point, what are you spending it on? I mean, it's not like there's, yeah, we'd save some cap room and, and you might be able to get a couple contributing guys brought in potentially with that money, but there isn't a big name player out there still that we could, that, that you're going to need that $18 million to, to spend on. So I, the reason I would cut him, I I'm perfectly fine. Cutting him is more to eliminate any kind of distraction or headache. 
we've seen players get in trouble before and and the media circus surrounding it. And, it, and this one's been surprisingly, and I think due to probably Aaron Rodgers and the Dak Prescott situation kind of coming up, has been relatively quiet for the fact that we are in a point where there's no news. Um, you don't hear a lot about Frank Clark's incident other than offhanded mentions every now and then. But we know that once that arraignment occurs um, and he's going through the court processes, that that's just a headache. That's a that's a big distraction for the team. And, and I just can't see Veach or Andy Reid or Hunt, uh, Clark Hunt, for that matter, really wanting that to be affecting the team as a whole. Jay, what about you? If Frank Clark is suspended by the league, and again, it has to be the league, and his contract is no longer guaranteed, would you move on from him? Would you keep him? How would you handle that situation? My only follow-up question, uh, and Sam kind of sparked this for me, was if he is cut, sorry, if he is suspended, they cut him, they get the 18 and a half or whatever it is, you could then carry it over to the next year, right, on your cap? Yes, that, that is true. You would be, be able to I'll verify that here in the article, but I'm, I'm almost, I'm 99% certain that that is the case, that you would be able to roll over those monies to the next year. And so I think, you know, I'm not saying I think they should cut. I'm saying that would be the, your route you could go is to roll that money over because you do have, again, we know some big contracts coming up next year. We know Orlando Brown's going to be expensive. Uh, we've talked on here multiple times. They wouldn't trade what they did for him if they don't have plans of re-signing him. And then Tyron Matthew is, you know, an never-ending, you know, will they when will they give him the contract that we think they're going to give him? And so I agree with Sam basically of saying, you know, if you're cutting him this year, what are you really getting out of it? Because we've talked almost ad nauseum about the guys that you could go get, and all of them have question marks and. You know, is it really better to have a pretty old Justin Houston or a broken Olivier Vernon with that money or just roll with Frank Clark and hope he doesn't get suspended for too long? Because I think that's where they are at at this point, which is why I don't think you'll end up seeing them cut him unless you get some, you know, he's suspended for 10 games because then I could see it happening. Yeah, and Jacob actually brought a point. I don't know. I didn't even think of it. I was purely thinking of players you could bring in, but if cutting Frank Clark means we can give money to Tyron Matthew and make him happy, bye. I'll see you later. Well, we're going to keep our uh, one of the best safeties in the league and let the defensive end who's paid way too much go away. Here's Here are the situations I'm okay if they cut him because and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I think they're – because they are extreme situations and I don't think that they're necessarily likely. The first is one you said, Jacob, because I, in the article, yes, he does say – um, that if you were to cut Clark, you could roll over the full savings to 2022 and use that in a what is anticipated to be a significantly increased cap. Two situations I'm okay if they cut Clark. One, if they roll over that money. That, that's fine with me. I, I get you've got big contracts coming up. I get you're trying to save for the future. That makes sense. It's not my ideal situation, but I wouldn't be throwing a fit over it. The second one is if you already have a move in place that you're just needing that cap to pull the trigger for. And what I'm and the only real name that has come up lately is Xavier Howard. So if there's a player like that 
who could help your team right now and for the future in a similar way that you believe that Frank Clark was going to impact your defense or your team in general. And you went out and made that move. And the only way you could do that is if Frank Clark was released, then I'd be on board with that. So if they, if they make the announcement, we have traded for Xavier Howard uh, for our first and a fourth round pick. And the next media release is we have released Frank Clark. I, I will be okay with that because I think Xavier Howard granted in a very different position would be able to impact your team in the way that I would want somebody to impact your team. If you're going to release Frank Clark beyond that, I, I take the, the approach that I I've heard Seren Petro on 810 uh, use an awful lot. If not him, then who? Because while yes, Frank Clark has underperformed for the contract that he was given, he has still been a solid defensive end. And Granted, last year was a definitive downtick in, in sack production and overall. He still plays the run well. He still is, is an athletic defensive end who can make plays and rush and hurry the quarterback. And I don't know that there's another player on your defensive line other than Chris Jones who can, at their peak, produce like Frank Clark can. When Frank Clark was in Seattle, he was an absolute monster. And, and we haven't seen that same kind of powerful, overwhelming force in Kansas City that we did there, except for the Super Bowl run uh, during the playoffs, where he was an absolute monster. Other than that, he's been good to just okay. And I think that that's where my, my only hesitation comes is that I know the upside is there for him to be great. And so if you're going to cut him, it needs to be for somebody who's going to impact your team the same way you thought he could, which again, at this point is going to involve a trade or a surprise cap casualty from training camp, which is unlikely for that level of a player. Or again, the lesser of the two things that would excite me is if you're going to roll that money over sign Orlando Brown to a record contract, keep Tyron Matthew and still have funds left over to be active and filling holes on your roster. Moving along to our next topic, which is, again, sticking with the defense, but we want to take a look back and use kind of a historical perspective to avoid certain pitfalls that the Chiefs fell into years and years ago. So Jacob kind of brought up this topic as something that would be interesting to, to take a look at and maybe see you know, what went wrong there, what, what can the Chiefs do to avoid these pitfalls going forward. And that is the anomaly that was the Chiefs 2018 defense. We all remember it. It was a painful time in Chiefs kingdom history. They were almost last in yards allowed. They were ranked 24th in points allowed. Just a a significant drop off from what we had been able to expect from the Chiefs defense going forward. And how I kind of wanted to start this conversation with is go back to 2018 and just ask the question, what went wrong? And the only reason I I phrase it that way is I think that because the drop-off was so drastic in 2018 that we forget just how good the defenses were that Bob Sutton led when he came to the Chiefs. Because if you remember from 2013 on, they were very good in points allowed. They weren't always great in yards given up. But his first year, they came in, they were fifth in the league in points allowed per game. 
Second year, they were second in the league in points allowed and seventh in yards allowed per game. This is all on pro football reference. This is very easily accessible for anybody. Um, the next year, 2015, third in points allowed, seventh in yards allowed. Uh, 2016, they come out seventh in points allowed. Uh, again, drop off in the yards, which again was not uncommon for Sutton's defenses to drop off that way. 24th that year in yards allowed. And then 2017, this is where we, I think we probably saw the first chink in the armor, armor where they dropped off to 15th in points allowed and 28th in yards allowed. And then 2018 happened. So Jacob, I'll throw this question to you here first, since you're the one that kind of brought it up as a potential topic here, but what went wrong to you in 2018 with the Chiefs defense? My short answer is they paid old guys, which is a pitfall that they could be headed towards here very soon too. I mean, I don't want to be negative because I do think this upcoming season is going to be a very good season, but I do think they have to be thinking forward for the future. The biggest issues in 2018 that they had looking at their roster defensively is that they were paying Justin Houston and Eric Berry to do nothing. They were too old to play still. They just they couldn't rely on the guys. And I know we mentioned off air that Justin Houston had nine sacks, but we all remember watching him that season. He was a shell of what he once was at that point. And then they had D Ford, who was very one-dimensional, and also the reason they became one snap away. And then that's when they decided to blow up the defense. But I would say they were just super unathletic. And then just one more piece of research, which cracked me up but also depressed me a little bit was I think we know half of the starting safeties from that team but do you guys realize who the two starting safeties were on that team when Eric Berry was not playing because Eric Berry played in two games that year one of them one of them unfortunately I was the same will know one right off the bat Ron Parker name's Ron Parker and, and then it was a, a series of either dance I'm gonna say Dan Sorensen Jordan Lucas or um did Eric Murray start at safety or he was just rotational? They have Eric Murray listed as the starter because he played in nine games, uh, which was ahead of, I believe, all the other guys that you're talking about. So those were the two starting safeties, the guys that got the most playing time. But don't also forget that that year featured Orlando Scandrick and <laughs> other just wonderful guys in the secondary so for those people that are super worried about this year's defense, just go back and look at that 2018 defense and how they performed. And on top of Sam's hate for Ron Parker, I was a Ron Parker apologist maybe to a little bit of an extent before 2018. And just as a refresher to everybody, this is when they brought Ron Parker back because he understood the Bob Sutton defense. And I was done apologizing for him at this point because his play was just horrendous as well. Sam, what about you? When you look back at 2018 and you see some of the names that were still there, what do you think caused the collapse of what to that point had been a solid to well above average defense? Yeah. I mean, it's Bob Sutton. If anyone, if anyone knows me, they know that I have a, a wild disdain for Bob Sutton and his inability to coach defense. When you talk about the defenses that he quote unquote led or coached that were top of the league, why were they top of the league? 
Because I don't think it had anything to do with Bob Sutton. I think it was we had some of the best players in the NFL playing on that defense. That was prime Justin Houston. That was prime Tom Bahali, Derek Johnson, Eric Berry before he was kind of – before he obviously got cancer and kind of fell off a cliff. Breland Speaks. Breland, Breland Speaks. Breland Speaks, yeah, of course. Breland Speaks is the number one. Don't ever forget I, that. You one. had, you had a, a, a roster of players that could overcome the complete lack of – adjustments and game planning that Bob Sutton brought to the table. What was, what did we always complain about? Specifically, let's talk about that 2018 season. My biggest harp on uh, Bob Sutton was he did not change the entire game. It doesn't matter what was happening. They could be losing by seven points or losing or winning by 15 to 20. And the defense was exactly the same. It just never changed, never blitzed. Did, relied on players that had a name but were not what they once were. Jacob hit a big part of it, which is age. Um, he was relying on players that once at one point in time were very good, but at that point were past their prime. And so the defense, the pitfall that you can take from this is uh, Spagnola just needs to be able to not rely on uh, a one-trick pony like Bob Sutton did because that's all he had. He had one kind of defense and never ran anything else. We already know that Spagnola changes pretty well. He adapts to game plans. And as long as you don't run into a Bucks team, when you don't have offensive tackles and can't keep an offense on the ground or on the field, his defense works pretty well most of the time. So the age part is obviously the major pitfall. Jacob kind of mentioned the paying guys, paying older guys, uh, lots of money that, and losing that production. But it, it it can't be a lot worse than than what we saw with Bob Sutton. So, and Ron Ron Parker obviously didn't help at all. Um, it's always Ron Parker's fault. Well, Sean, are you happy? Was this the intention of your question to get Sam worked up? Because if it was, you succeeded. You brought up two of the names that will set me off instantaneously. The intention like, of every question I give is to set Sam off because that's the best Sam. So I'm I'm on board with being the instigator. Your job is to disagree. My job is to just light the fire between you two and then sit back and watch what happens. I'm yeah, Jacob, not- disagree with me that Bob Sutton was a terrible defensive coordinator. <laughs> Do it. I want to hear you. Uh, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan myself. It was kind of boring. <laughs> I do I'm think with- it's interesting that Bob Sutton in New York – the reputation he had is very similar to the one that I think Steve Spagnola had both between when he was with the giants. And then when he came to the chiefs, which is this guy who throws just the most bizarre and exotic blitzes at you as a defensive coordinator. And I think that was probably the biggest thing that we saw go away as time progressed was that Bob Sutton got more and more and more conservative where he would just call the dogs off play complete prevent defense to the point where we would see Justin Houston in coverage half the time. And for your best pass rusher is trying to cover Antonio Brown and the height of Antonio Brown's career. That's just not a recipe for success. So I think that Spagnolo, I think does best when he can get pressure with four, because it allows him to be creative with blitzing versus when he feels like he has to blitz. I, I do think this year, Maybe one of the years that you get a really good idea of the kind of coach that Spagnolo is simply because you probably won't have, you may or may not have Frank Clark for part or the whole season, depending on what the league decides to do. You don't have 
an experienced corner outside of Traverius Ward um, that has played more than three years in the league. You know, Rashad Fenton, you can argue, is your, your is a quote-unquote experienced corner. Most of the guys that, have, that are on the roster that you're expecting to get major time have been in the league for at least a couple years, but whether for injury or just opportunity, haven't had the chance to play. You're going to have some changes at the linebacker core. Um, with Nick Bolton coming in, you're going to have a whole new, you know, a, more than likely a new Sam linebacker. And then it's a matter of, okay, who plays the nickel, who plays the dime linebacker position. There's, there's a lot there that's going to change. And it's going to be interesting to see like, what can he get out of these guys that may or may not have the experience that you would like ideally from, from players that are going to be playing key positions. For me, what went wrong with 2018, you guys kind of said it best. A lot of it was age, but I do think a lot of it for me was more scheme. You know, like I said, Justin Houston played coverage too much. D4 did one thing and you had nobody and you didn't allow for anybody else to do what they wanted. Like they kept trying to make Breland Speaks an outside linebacker when he probably should have just been putting his hand in the dirt playing a three tech or a five tech in a three, four defense and just let him go. Don't try to make an outside linebacker. Which leads me to the next question, which is what do the Chiefs have to do this year to avoid the pitfalls? Because to this point, Spagnolo has done an admirable job, I think, of turning the defense around. In 2019, they were seventh in points allowed, 17th in yards, coming on the heels of an atrocious 2018 season. You know, last year took a bit of a step back, but not bad. You know, they were 10th in the league in points allowed, 16th in yards allowed, still a solid year, even with the fall off from Frank Clark. So looking ahead now to this coming season with training camp a week away, what do you think that Spagnuolo and that defensive staff need to do to avoid a backslide and continue to see this defense progress? Um, Sam, I'll come back to you here first on this one. I don't really have much of an answer for this because I don't, a lot of because of what you stated, Sean, is that the, the, we have such a new defense, basically, with the number of players that could potentially be getting time for the first time or getting more significant time due to uh, different circumstances. The, the main thing, I mean, I hate the – it's one of those it's, – it's staying healthy, number one, because we rely so heavily on the rotation at the defensive line position specifically that – losing one or two of those guys, those rotational guys can really hurt us. We've seen that where you start to, when you start to lose that rotation, the defensive line just doesn't perform as well because they're not as fresh throughout the game. And then the, the one of the biggest one is just an improved linebacker play. We need to see guys actually, we, we can't go through this next year doing what we did last year where it was like, well, they didn't mess anything up. We need actual improvement, and we spent a high draft pick on a, on a linebacker for that specific reason. So it, it, there's not – I don't think there's any – I don't see any crazy pitfalls that can come of this season because I don't see – because of the way Spagnola's defenses run, he doesn't rely on one or two guys. He doesn't look at it as – I mean, obviously, Chris Jones is a staple of the defense. Tyron Matthews is a staple of the defense. But they're not relied on to, to – basically control the defense. When you look at the Rams defense, Aaron Donald kind of controls that. He is, if he's not there, their defense doesn't look nearly the same. And where you definitely see a drop-off when Chris Jones isn't in, you, de- you it's not 
significant in my opinion, where it's just like, oh my gosh, Chris Jones has to go back in. It's always nice when he's in, but it, it doesn't ruin the defense. So I, I don't see a lot of crazy pitfalls. I think this is going past this next year. We have to exactly what Jacob said. We have to be cognizant of paying guys that are on the decline. We can't do that anymore. Um, and I think they did that. They're doing that well, or they're being cognizant of that because letting uh, Damian Wilson go, letting um, Anthony Hitchens will likely be gone after this year. So they're, they're getting rid of some of these aging guys that though they have filled roles for us and, and played significant time, we're not clinging to them as we have in the past with defensive starters. Um, now it's hard when you have Eric Berry and Justin Houston and, um, Tom Bahali, those are those are staple chiefs. And, and even as fans, we're like, oh, we just love seeing them there. And but but we can't we can't continue to do that again. We talk about the Patriot way. That's why the Patriots were so good for so long was was not getting stuck on one guy besides Tom Brady. Jacob, what about you? What do you think the Chiefs need to do to avoid a, a backslide to a 2018 or even just a, a significant backslide to their defensive performance this coming year? Yeah, up front for this year, I, I'm hoping, and I think based on the moves they've made so far, they have kind of looked at what happened in 2018 and are trying to avoid that by saying, let's get younger guys in positions where we know we might have to end up paying guys or we haven't had success. And I'm not really too worried about the scheme. I think Sam kind of explained scheme things pretty well of just, you know, I don't think you'll see a major fall in their play this year. I do think getting younger and faster at a couple of positions was the key. Like he said, a linebacker, you know, hopefully now you got two guys that are way more athletic because that has been an issue for two years. And I know I've brought it up probably five or six times, but I'm more worried about long-term and to see where they go. And Seren Petro, I think kind of got me on this kick today is, you know, I think we all want to keep Tyron Matthew around, but, what seasons are you going to pay him for? And we've talked about length of contracts and do you think you could string him along on the franchise tag and just see how old, how quickly he, that all happens. But that's where my fear is at because if they keep up with the same rhythm of, okay, we've already paid Chris Jones, that's a sunk cost. You're not coming back from that. But with Tyron Matthew, you haven't paid him yet. And I'm not sure if you should at this point, I'm, you know, I can be one opinion one week and one opinion the next, but if you look at the 2018 chiefs in your own mind, that's where your brain goes is to say, don't give this guy the contract because you're going to pay for years that you don't want to. If you could franchise and trade him, I would almost even entertain that idea just because of good defense tends to be young and fast. I think your offense is just relying on your quarterback and you got the right guy because that is also a difference from that 2018 season is you have a different Patrick Mahomes as well. So like I said, overall, the big thing they either have to do is make tough decisions on third contracts on guys, the guys, you know, in their thirties or draft better than they ever have in their franchise history, other than their uh, Brandon Albert, Jamal Charles draft. I do think identifying players that you're gonna are gonna be cornerstones is key. You know they've they've hit on some with bringing in guys like Matthew and re-signing Chris Jones. They missed. Well, missed is a strong word. It hasn't lived up to the contract. It's hard to say missed because he did have such a great run in the playoffs. But overall, production-wise, has missed on Frank Clark. 
He hasn't lived up to the contract outside of this magical run that did help them get to the Super Bowl. I think identify, I would bring back Matthew just as a sidebar, because I think that his attitude and ability, his ability to dissect and communicate the defense to younger players, especially the secondary is going to be big. So I would bring him back. My things that I would want Spagnola to do to avoid pitfalls is, is something that they've done in some places, but they haven't in others. So, which is letting the youth make mistakes early, ride the Patrick Mahomes coattails and let guys like Nick, Nick Bolton and Willie Gay Jr. make mistakes early. Let Joshua Kando over pursue and get beat on a draw that goes for seven or 10 yards. Let, let Mike Hughes, you know, misread and get beat on a double move for 35, 40 yards because if they do it early, they are more likely to recognize it late. And then they would be more ready for when it really counts, which is the playoffs, where you're hoping to make that next Super Bowl run. The last thing I'd say is just continue to be aggressive. Don't stop being aggressive. Like I said, we were talking about Bob Sutton. I think that's inevitably what killed him is you didn't have anybody who could cover. We just went down through all the names of the safeties and corners that they had at the time. And you didn't, you weren't able to cover, but you also didn't put pressure on anyone. You were dropping pass rushers like Justin Houston into coverage. I I don't want to see Spagnolo take his foot off the pedal. Even if the chiefs are up big, continue to put pressure on, on teams. It doesn't have to be seriously exotic blitzes or anything that you think is going to reveal too much uh, on film for later in the season, but let the, the youth and speed with guys like Nick Bolton, Kane Doe, uh, Willie Gay Jr., Legereus Sneed, let, let the youth and speed show. Let that shine and, and utilize that to your benefit. Stay aggressive. I think if you're able to do those two things, I think they'll avoid a lot of the pitfalls that came with 2018 that are avoidable. The last one being, you know, don't let your team get old, which is more up to Brett Feach. So we'll see what happens. But those are the two things that I would like to see him do. And just a little more on, you know, the thinking of what might go wrong roster wise. Again, I do think the youth is important, but also when you give out these massive contracts, you feel like you can't give many more resources either to the defense. And I do think that was part two of the problem was, again, you had those guys like Ron Parker playing and, you know, when you get injured, guys like Frank Zombo coming in and pretending like these are NFL guys. And so I think all of that has to be a factor. And you've, and this is also something I keep hearing from Sir and Petro, and I 100% agree with him, is you can't keep trading first round picks away because you need to be able to have a first round pick that's typically at worst a 50-50 shot on a good player. That's fair. I, I think it's easier with the Chiefs, like Sam has said, and you have said both in the past when you're picking in the low the low twenties to, you know, the thirties, I think that makes it a little bit easier to move that pick, but I agree with you that it is something that they will have to be cognizant of going forward to this point. I do think Brett Veach has done a great job identifying who's who, but he, Frank Clark is, I think probably the first miss on identifying a guy who could be an impact player that hasn't been consistently. No, I, I wouldn't. I, I can't even say that Frank Clark is a miss. Frank Clark is because he had such a good first season for us, it, it, it's hard with those kind of players to identify 
when that drop-off is going to occur. Because in no way, it wasn't like Frank Clark was some one-year wonder that we that Brett Beach looked at and was like, oh, I have to have him. He was a, a consummate all, uh, pro bowler. He was a very good player in Seattle. We brought him in, and he played up to that level. It's hard to know what happened last year, whether it was what exactly caused for that drop off. And it's likely we won't know if that was a one time thing, because the the legal stuff, you can't blame that on Brett Beach. That's one of those that's that he he can't predict the future as far as what kind of stupid crap this guy's going to do. So I, I don't think you can really blame that. The ones that that I look at are, are the moves where. And it's kind of Brett Beach's specialty of, of bringing the, the players that have not lived up to their draft class ranking, bringing them in to fill significant roles. That's always been like um, we talked about Taco Charlton. Taco Charlton is one of the few that we brought in that has not lived up to his role where he's not looked at as being a guy that's filling a significant role. He's just a, okay, let's see if this works out where a lot of the other guys that he's done that with were brought in to be significant impact players for us. So those are the moves that I look at that are, are not as good. So we can, again, I think that's a, a topic for another day that we can get into, but I just think the, the, the aggressiveness of the Frank Clark move is something that, I did like about that move or about that situation was it showed that they were willing to change the defense in a positive way by bringing in that kind of player. And again, we did it again this year. Uh, what, why did I lose his name? Right. <laughs> I wanted to talk about defense tackle. Um, oh, Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, we did it again this year with him. So it's another aggressive move bringing in a, apparently another Seattle defensive lineman, but a, a, potentially super impactful player that could really change our defense so valid points and, and I, I do think that we'll we'll be covering the Brett Veach top and bottom moves of his career to this point as Chiefs general manager here in the not too distant future so stay tuned for that last thing here tonight just to wrap things up we've been kind of playing these fun little games at the end of our, our podcasts here lately uh, just kind of keep things light especially when there's no news going on just try to do something fun that Chiefs fans can relate to and I heard this on uh, one of the Arrowhead Pride podcasts they played uh, would you rather everyone's favorite I've had one too many college game and I'm, I'm feeling like I could say things I might not normally say so they played a Chiefs version I thought it might be fun to do something similar here so I've got five would you rathers and we can go over and you know as much detail as you'd like for each one this doesn't have to be super long but you don't have to feel like you're you know one word answers or anything um and, and see where you guys fall. I've had the benefit of looking up some of this stuff, so uh, I can certainly give my answer, but it will be a little bit uh, less impactful maybe than what you guys are about to give. So this first one is one that... Us Real quick before you get into the game, Sean, I would like to rebrand these segments as an educational opportunity for new Chiefs fans to learn about the history of our franchise. <laughs> I like that. You know, uh, Sean, I also have a question about before the game gets going, since the rules weren't stated, are we supposed to be at the point where we've had one drink too many? I need to get started. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can cut the podcast here and do a we're back, but it may not be an intelligible podcast at that point. Um, so we can, we can definitely play the, uh, the, the sober version for now. All right. So this first one is a, is an actual topic that, us three have discussed 
numerous times, but I want to get it out here on the podcast for everyone to hear because my opinion has actually flip-flopped many times with this debate. And that is, would you rather have Trent Green or Alex Smith? I'll, I'll start. Uh, Trent Green's jersey is in my closet, so I can't disrespect him. I'm, I'm taking Trent, and if I'm you know not being the 10-year-old myself, that is not my brain already, of course, at 10 for number 10. Notice I didn't go to number 11 years old. I do like the upside of Trent more. I do think you can't go look stat to stat because the guys played in different systems and in different eras of football. Because I know if you go look up Trent's statistics as well, they're not going to blow you out of the water. But he's not the winner that Alex Smith was either in the regular season. Either way, I feel like I'm dying in a fire or drowning to an extent of choosing these guys. Sam, what about you? Trent Green or Alex Smith? Yeah, this is, this is difficult. I, I want to – my initial thought was to try to put Trent Green and Alex Smith there because obviously it's the most recent for us to think about and put a player comp to him and just like think, okay, who would I rather have in that? The only player I can think of that would be like, okay, that's kind of like what Trent Green is, is Kirk Cousins, where I feel like they're pretty similar players in general. Um, and that I hopefully that's not disrespecting Trent Green too much. But Sam, I will uh, validate, I had the same exact thought on players. I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm playing Sam's game. Yeah. Sam's, would you rather? Would you rather have Trent Green or? <laughs> um, but no, so I, I because I'm putting him in the version of, he Trent Green is Kirk Cousins. I'm actually wait, wait, out. wait, wait, wait. I have another question, Sam. Does your yeah. game include having to have one drink too many in order to play and try to match Trent Green to an NFL current player? That would be pretty fun. That would that we'd, it'd be challenging, but um, I think it would do it make the co- comparisons a lot more interesting for sure. But no, I, I would still go with Alex Smith. I, I always loved what he brought to the table, is even though he wasn't. We always say he wasn't the most um, dynamic player, but I mean, he, he was an incredibly athletic quarterback. He just didn't, it, it never jumped off the page. And I think it's because he got replaced by uh, Colin Kaepernick. So everyone just thought, oh, he's just not that athletic, but he was honestly a very athletic quarterback and he had ever, everyone called him the game manager. But if you look at the last year he was with us, he, he showed that he had the ability to be more than the game manager. So I, I'd go with Alex Smith, I think. So that's kind of the answer I thought you guys would give. And so I would like to pose a question to you. Do you, how many seasons, if you had to guess each quarterback through for 4,000 yards without looking? Are we talking just with Well, I already looked, so maybe I shouldn't oh. answer, but uh, let me just pretend like I was answering before looking up Trenton Greens because I didn't look at Alex Smith. My guess on Trent Green would have probably been it probably would have been two or three somewhere in that ballpark because I knew he didn't have that long of a heyday with the Chiefs. And that, I know he had a really good time with the Rams before he got hurt there. Yeah, that's my question is, are we just looking at him as Chiefs? Uh, like 4,000 yards as Chiefs players? or Yes, because that's the only time either one of them threw for 4,000 yards. Oh, <laughs> wow. I thought I would have thought Trent – that the reason I thought that is I thought Trent Green would have had more yards with the Rams. But um, – Let's say two with Alex Smith, one with Trent Green. 
So Alex Smith has thrown for 4,000 yards one time. It was his last year. That was, that was my guess that I didn't say publicly. Trent Green had three years in a row where he threw for 4,000 yards between 2003 and 2005. Trent Green has only – during the time when he – between 1998 and 2005, Trent Green threw for less than 3,400 yards once. Trent Green also played in a time where they ran the ball. In 2003, there were two quarterbacks that threw for 4,000 yards. One was Trent Green and one was Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning, yeah. It's like uh, – I was 100% on board with you, with Alex Smith. Like I was like, oh, well, Alex Smith, like especially in this era of football, it's not a question. Now, it, like going back and looking, it makes me want Trent Green to have played in the Patrick Mahomes era of football because if he's thrown for 4,000 yards with Priest Holmes getting 35 yard carries a game, what could he do now? Like, How many of yeah. those yards were thrown screen passes to Priest Holmes? Oh, probably <laughs> at least 2,500. I was going to say 95% of the yards were. But, yeah, I mean, if you <laughs> – The other 5% were Tony. Tony. Gonzalez, so. <laughs> yes. I was going to say one more thing that you can even throw a ratchet into it more is that Trent Green didn't have Tyreek Hill – but Alex Smith didn't have, you know, the what we deemed as probably the greatest offensive line of all time because of two hall, two potential hall of fame, two hall of famers, sorry, two hall of famers, and then two guy and you know two other guys that were considered best guys in their era at their positions. So what you're saying is we need the 2003 offensive line with Patrick Mahomes. That's what I got out of that. All right. Patrick Mahomes would still be scrambling in the Super Bowl right now if he had the 2003 Chiefs offensive line. All right. Scrambling, second. not not because he was, you know, being chased by anybody, just because he's just back there in the pocket. Just he was just having fun. Protected. Yeah, yeah exactly. backyard football. All right. Second, would you rather, and this one I think might tear you two apart as friends. We'll see. Would you rather Jared Allen or Tom Bahali? This one's easy. Jared Allen's a Hall of Famer. Tom Baholi is not. So, Jared Allen. Surprise, surprise, Sean. It is Jared Allen for me as well. Oh, you, man. I wondered. I, I, love, I love me some Tomba, but, man, you, you, can't, you can't beat the, the rodeo. It's, that, was, that was some of the best, best Chiefs years you can get. Yeah. Production and wise, I, I was on board with Jared, 100%. But I wondered if you might say Tomba because <laughs> of what he meant to Chiefs Kingdom just as, as who he was. As well as being. Can I also please put a plug out there that if anybody has a Chiefs Jared Allen jersey, I am in the market. I have not seen them on eBay or anything. I know I could go custom make a current Chiefs Jared Allen jersey, but I just want a nasty. They probably weren't even this brand, but I just want a nasty Jared Allen starter Chiefs jersey, just low quality screen print. That's all I want. I'm looking for one. You or your friends have one. I'm all ears. Oh my God. Uh, all right, third one, and this is the last player v. player pick, um, and this one's a little bit different. Would you rather prime uh, – I'm saying like prime career, so healthy, top of their game player. Would you rather have a prime Tyreek Hill or a prime Jamal Charles? I go with – I would take Tyreek. Obviously, com- different positions, but – Jamal was obviously a fantastic running back, but running backs are one of those things that you can get a dime a dozen. They may not have the same ability that Jamal had, but you can switch them in and out. You don't 
replace a Tyreek Hill's ability. That's something that we don't see come around very often. Um, so I, I go with Tyreek just because I think though Jamal was very good, you can replace that a lot e- that production a lot easier than what you can the freak athleticism and, and kind of production that Tyreek has, has generated. I don't think this is a fair question. That's my answer. <laughs> if I just had to choose who is more, who is a better player position? Prime to prime. We're talking prime to prime. Oh, I know. I know. I'm, I'm aware. I'm saying, though, if I'm building a football team, I will take good receiver over good running back. That's the problem is that Jamal Charles, to me, I will make the argument that he is the best running back of all time. Now I will fight anyone over that as long as you are smaller and older than I am (laughs) about that. Cause he still has the most yards a carry all time, which it's what, like 6.4 or something average. The problem is 5.5. He did did have years where he have 6.4 and 6.9. And the 5.4 is including his last three years of 3.3, 4.3 and 1.2. Okay, where's what's that put him at? Uh, yards per rush for career. That's five point four. Five point four. The problem is that Tyree Kill's yards of reception is is fourteen point six. Now he's not going to get as many carries as Jamal Charles would, but you know when you're talking about production, you're going to want the fourteen point six over the five. One catch equals three carries. And you don't have to break the player either. So I'm choosing it for the football stance, not because of who the players are. Because if I was choosing just players, I'm choosing Jamal Charles. Again, this is basically a my jerseys in the closet hour from Sean here, because I would also be remiss to, you know, put down my Jamal Charles jersey in the closet as well. (laughs) That one I thought would be interesting just because it is two guys who are known for their elite athleticism. Uh, the quickness, the agility, the contact balance, both of them are just beyond anything we'd ever seen at that time. Jamal Charles still to me is, is one of the most bizarre running backs to watch where he would just take hits one after the other and, and not, and not go down. And Tyreek Hill is this bizarre anomaly of I'm going to go faster than literally any other NFL player has ever gone. And then I'm going to stop a full stop and you are going to run right by me whenever I want like that kind of there. So I, I was curious to get your guys' opinions. Sean, in the words of Ryan Tannehill, I would just like to know what it was like to have that speed one time. <laughs> All right. These next two are more um, wide ranging. So not necessarily player for player. Um, it's more uh, this next one is definitely more um, worst case scenario. Would you rather have a Bob Sutton 2018 defense or a Todd Haley, Tyler Palco led offense? I'll take the 2018 defense just because I not even sure the Todd Haley, Tyler Palco offense was valid, a valid NFL offense. And sorry, I, I, I had to edit my own speech there because I know Tyler Palco's on Twitter and I don't want to be too mean or, you know, speak in too many superlatives that are outrageous. I'm going to say this right now, watching the pain on both of your faces, <laughs> it was just so suppressed, but I knew how you felt when you said it, it just made me so Okay, mad. you know what? Let me re-answer this and maybe it'll answer it for Sam. 
the 2018 defense got the Chiefs one snap from the Super Bowl. The Tyler Palco, Todd Haley Chiefs offense got them the first overall pick. I'll take, I will also take the 2018 defense with a six pack of a beer that's at least 7% alcohol or higher. You want Steel Reserve? I want he wants beer, a Booty not, Ranger is what he wants. Like good beer, Jacob. Not a, <laughs> I don't need to be a homeless guy drinking out of a brown paper bag. Hey, you know what? I was going to say that's offensive, but honestly, the only times I've seen people drinking Steel Reserve is when I got it for free and homeless people. <laughs> All right, last one here, and then we'll wrap things up for tonight. This one is a much more positive look. Would you rather have the 2003 Chiefs offense or the 1995 Chiefs defense? Both were ranked first in the league at the time. Remind me how far the uh, Chiefs defense on the year you chose one. That was when they lost the AFC championship because Joe Montana got hurt. Uh, Correct. Yes, he was the quarterback at the time. Um, No, I take that back. Steve Bono was the quarterback at the time. They went to the, uh, I can tell you, and they lost in the divisional round 7-10 to to the Colts. I think the old phrase, offense wins championships, is the one I'm going to go with here. I probably would take the offense because that defense was, I still think the Chiefs have had in their, their time two of the worst defenses in NFL history. They would they rank up there with 2003 and 2018. On that note, just a quick sidebar before Sam gives his answer. Uh, I do want us to do a research project where we look at the difference of Chiefs 2003 defense with Mike Mislowski versus Chief defense without Mike Mislowski because Seth Kaiser's been making some claims about when Mike Mislowski went down, that's when that Chiefs defense went from average to trash, and I want to find out <laughs> if it's true. So... We may have to do a research project. Uh, Sam, what about you? 2003 offense or 1995 Chiefs defense? I'm actually going to go with 1995 defense for no other reason because as an adult, I want to watch Neil Smith and uh, Derek Thomas play. I, I want I want adult memories of them playing, not five-year-old Sam. So <laughs> that, would, that would be my choice. JJ has one more point to bring up here is he has watched a couple of Mike Mislowski highlights. He <laughs> likes the guy, but honestly, I think it's just because they had a very similar look with the ball head. I thought you were going to say the Mike Mislowski that he had seen was green and had one eye and worked in Scaring Children Factory. <laughs> I think the, 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 uh, it's a great answer, Sam. I think I would love to watch that defense play, so I'm, I'd be tempted to pick that one. I do think that that offense, though, in any other year with any other defense that was average, had a real shot at the Super Bowl. So I, I might go with that offense overall if, if I'm looking to win a game. Um, but just to be able to watch Neil Smith, Derek Thomas, Dale Carter, James Hastie, that, that would have been a, a heck of a thing to see. All right, everybody, that'll do it for us tonight. We appreciate you bearing with us as this uh, offseason is kind of a stop and start for us. When there's stuff to talk about, we definitely want to talk about it. But when there's not, we're just not going to force it. So, But training camp starts next week, so we'll actually hopefully have some real things to discuss. So until then, you all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.